Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. Welcome to the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. Here are Dan Rusinowski and Drew Remenda. Episode 7 of our Outstanding Stanley Cup Playoff Report on the Sharks Audio Network. Drew Remenda, we have had an epic finish to the mm-hmm. Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames on Thursday night. Obviously, the Edmonton Oilers are victorious. Just the initial thought. That Connor McDavid took this series over in game two when his team was down three to one early in the game. He took the series over after that kind of fitting that he scored the goal. As you texted me last night after the game, I thought both goaltenders were red rotten uh, for most of it, especially last night. Smith had a couple of good games, but overall I think Markstrom save percentage was in the seven, the high sevens, which isn't good enough. Um, The more skilled team won. And the team that has figured out, in my opinion, how to play playoff hockey was the team that won that series. Uh, Daryl's team, I thought last, especially stayed on the outside. They couldn't get inside. And that's because, as Daryl said, maybe the other team's just playing better. Maybe they're just a little bit better. I, I think that's probably the difference. And, you know, it, you were talking about the goaltending being terrible a- after the series was over. Jay Woodcroft, uh, the coach of the Edmonton Oilers, was basically asked if he could possibly foresee 5-4 hockey all the way through. And here's what he said. I didn't see that, uh, especially w- with the way that Calgary uh, defended throughout the the season and how hard they played us certainly didn't see giving up nine goals in the first game uh that didn't go according to plan but we tightened (laughs) some things up as the series moved along we always felt that we had the ability to score for us it's sometimes not just about what we're getting but it's about what we're giving up and uh you know, as the series went on, we got better at, at that. Uh, tonight wasn't our finest hour in terms of defending, but you talk about uh, uh, 20 men digging in for each other and finding a way in less than perfect circumstances. I think tonight was the example of that. And when you talk about digging in, how about Leon Dreisaitl, who very quietly behind Connor McDavid's theatrics has had an amazing series, and Woodcroft talked about that. You know, with what Connor's done, kind of Leon's uh, performance has gone un- under the radar a little bit. Um, but for what he's doing, um, you know, I think he he has the ability to hold people off and make plays in tight spaces. And I think, uh, you know, I think he's the best passer in the National Hockey League, best passer in the world. And uh, the amount of plays that he makes for our team is um, unbelievable. To do that with what he's going through, um, you know, he's an absolute warrior. But I've said this before, uh, you know, we're – when I walked into that room at the beginning of February, I was bullish on our players um, because I, I saw a sincere desire to win and not just the desire to win, uh, but I saw people willing to um, pay the price to win. 
Well, Leon Dreisaitl's been doing that, and I guess the rumor is he's got a high ankle sprain, yeah, and that's a, that's, that's a tough, tough, tough injury to deal with. That was in the uh, L.A. series in a scrum. He got pulled down. You watch on those one-timers that he comes across. Usually he likes to fire off that leg and get down on that one knee. He can't do it anymore. Um, with the, right, Well, right now he can't do it because of the injuries. It's interesting. When you go back with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, when Connor came on the scene, Leon was there for already before Connor got to the, to the orders after the draft. And one day during that season, Todd McClellan went to Leon Dreisaitl because Leon was down in the minors for a bit, then came back up, was kind of pouty. And he's, he is, he is pouty. He's got his body language is terrible at times, but he's very hard on himself. One day Todd brought him in and said, Hey, you don't have to be the second best player on the ice, you know, insinuating that. And in this in Connor's doing, you don't have to give to Con- to Connor all the time. You don't have to feed Connor all the time. You don't have to say, yeah, you go ahead, sir. He said, which, which kind of light went on. And then during that time where the, the Oilers made the playoffs, Leon was fantastic, especially in the series against Anaheim. The next year, what happened in Edmonton, like it happened and happened and happened, is they kept trying to find guys to play with Connor, guys that played with Connor. And Leon one day went to Jay Woodcroft and said, how come you never trying to find guys to play with me? And... Jay looked at him and I'm paraphrasing and Jay looked at him and said, after what you did in the playoffs last year, after how you played in the playoffs last year, we don't need to find guys to play with you because you're the guys that you're the guy that pulls other guys into the fight. You're the guy that makes other guys better. You're the type of player that we put somebody with you. We're confident you're going to be fine because that's the type of player you've become. And after that, Leon has become that guy. And you know what? Uh, he's not really in the shadow of McDavid. If you if you're analyzing the game, he's just a huge part of what the Oilers are doing. Yeah. But uh, as was the case with Joe Thornton and Patrick Marto, uh, there are certain t- types of guys that sort of jump up into the fore. And Joe certainly did that in in the relationship with Patty over the years here in San Jose. And you see McDavid doing things like this. McDavid created a turnover for Drysaddle inside. McDavid is shot scores. Connor McDavid has won the battle of. Five, four, in overtime. Obviously, on 630 Ched, things got a little exciting there for Jack Michaels and the crew, but uh, we've talked about this a lot, Drew. How much a victory against Calgary in the playoffs means to everybody in Edmonton? It's huge. And, and the defeat to, for Calgary fans is, is brutal. Um, on the radio show that I do here in Saskatchewan, we've had everybody from Lanny McDonald, Tim Hunter, Craig Muni, Craig Simpson, Grant Fear, uh, going back and forth on the Battle of Alberta telling the old stories. The one thing that keeps coming back, though, is that it meant everything. Back in those days, they played each other, I think, five times in the playoffs, and they were absolute wars. This is the first time in the Battle of Alberta since 1991 where both teams were really good teams. There is a rivalry politically. There's a rivalry um, uh, social, social economic wise. There's a rivalry in the population. There's a rivalry in the type of city. Calgary had the Olympics. What did Edmonton have? They didn't have the Olympics, but now they've got the they've they've got Connor. They've got Leon. They've got this brand new rink. Calgary's got the Saddle Dome and Johnny Goodrow and and Monahan and and Lindholm. So 
it's starting to build up, but there's rivalries back and forth from the Edmonton Elks to the CFL team to the Calgary Stampeders, the CFL team, they go back and forth. There's always that rivalry between Edmonton and Calgary, but nothing bigger than the Battle of Alberta when it comes to the Flames and the Oilers. I actually thought that Barry Melrose on ESPN put the rivalry pretty succinctly when he talked about how his dad worked out on the oil fields in Edmonton and, yep. and how all these corporate executives in Calgary were, were enjoying dinner at Teatro and yep. in their suits and ties. And that kind of pretty much summed it all up in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. When you go to Calgary, all the high rises, all the oil companies, all the executives, it's a suit and tie downtown. It's not a suit and tie downtown in Edmonton. It's uh, blue collar working guys coming back and forth from the patch in Fort McMurray. There is a big difference in the people, but the note, there isn't any difference when it comes to how much they love their hockey teams. Like absolutely. Really, really tough loss for the Calgary flames and Daryl Sutter in an outstanding season winning the division. I thought they were going to try and find a way to pull it out and force a game seven. And of course uh, it wouldn't be an Edmonton, Alberta, uh, Calgary, Alberta battle without a little controversy in the game with Blake Coleman thinking that he put the flames in front to stay. And then a distinct kicking motion reviewed. Uh, Daryl Sutter had some thoughts on that after the game. Well, it depends what you call a distinct kicking motion. If somebody's on the ground there and you lift your foot up, kick them in the head, that's a distinct kicking motion. If you slide your foot in the ground, it's not a distinct kicking motion. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever indeed for Daryl Sutter at that point after his team lost, but he makes the point that I, I lo- thought of when I saw the play, Drew, and in my mind, that was a goal. Because it, on the outside of his skate, you can deliberately deflect the puck into the net. It, to me, it wasn't a distinct kicking motion. If... If I have my foot on the ground, when my weight on that foot, I can't kick with that foot. Can't. Physically impossible. I have to lift the foot up, unweight, and then make a motion with my hip to turn my leg. And it's, you know, a little bit of martial arts, which, you know, I've been doing since I was in my 20s. So, you know, we understand a little bit how to kick, even, even low kicks. That was, to me, a good hockey goal. Driving the net makes the collision. His back leg is up in the air so there's no way he can deliberately kick yes he turns his skate but that's allowed and if you go back and it's now being posted on the internet today all over the place usually by calgary fans all the goals that have been allowed this year with the the kicking motion or deflecting the puck in that with the skate this is i'm sorry a bad decision by the by the nhl this was a poor call and you know what? You really hate to see that happen. I know Ron McLean was talking about that on the Canadian national telecast between the third period and the overtime. You don't want to see a series uh, d- decided like this, but that's the way it turned out. Yep. And Edmonton got the, got the victory. Yep. It, this it's playoff hockey, but let me ask you a question. Cause I've been thinking about this all day. Are you tired? Like I am of every goal now. I mean, every goal, no matter how it goes in, we're looking for something to review. It's kind of sickening, actually. It's, thank you. Because I'm getting to the point now where, and I go back to what Colin Campbell said, Colin Campbell from the National Hockey League, when all the video review stuff started to come out and they wanted to start putting it in. Apparently, Colin Campbell said to the general managers, be careful what you wish for. Be careful because this is going to escalate. You're going to want more and more, and this is going to change things. And I think he's right. I think he's been right about this, that, you know, the offside rule came in 
because of an egregious offside that happened in the game. Was what, uh, what, what game was that, Drew? Uh, it, uh, it was Colorado. And who was the other team, Danny? Uh, I, I seem to remember them wearing teal uniforms. <laughs> the captain of the Avalanche, Gabriel Landeskog, was definitely offside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Standing right? on the edge of the bench. Not that different, actually, from a game this season in which uh, the Anaheim Ducks had a two-minute-in on the ice situation in overtime against San Jose, yeah. standing by the bench. So, you know what? How do you rule those two things? So when you and, and you and when you look at the the game now, and Colin Campbell said this too, when they showed the general managers, ten general managers. They show them a goalie interference. Five would say it wasn't. Five would say it was. It is really subjective. But I think Daryl, in this particular case, summed it up perfectly that this was not a distinct kicking motion. And usually, what's what's interesting with the National Hockey League, the one thing that they have they they are hard and fast on is the call on the ice. What's the call on the ice? What's the call on the ice? And this was called a goal, I do believe. And in fact, it was. It was. And, yeah. And then. That's that seems to be the overriding factor in almost all decisions, but in this one it, it got overturned, which is very rare. They don't overturn very many calls on the ice. Makes the job harder for us. Here's how it sounded on the air. Now it's Backlund at center, gaining speed around Nugent Hopkins, heading for the net, right circle, shot, save, rebound, score. Smith got a piece, but never held it, and the Flames regain the lead. After a video review. Wow, I don't believe that. I'm in shock. Now that's the Edmonton broadcast. They were in shock too. That's Bob Stoffer, who does the uh, the uh, color commentary with Jack Michaels, and Bob has his own show on uh, on six thirty Ched daily. For him, listen, Bob's an oiler. Period. End of discussion. For him to go, wow, I can't believe that. That shocked us all. That that means that it was a goal. man. Uh, by the way, back to Leon Dreisaitl for a moment, a couple of notes about him. Uh, he had four assists in game five, two goals, 15 assists, 17 points in the second round that matches Boston's Rick Middleton, who had the same number of goals and assists in 1983 against Buffalo for the most points in NHL history through five games of a single playoff series. And he also set the NHL playoff record for most consecutive contests with at least three points in game four, so, I mean, this just con- continues for him as he's beyond 50 career playoff points. And, you know, 26 of his 53 points have come in 12 games during the playoffs. It's, it's incredible what he's doing. It, it really is. I mean, but you look at that, they're top end players and Connor and Leon are their top end players. They were dominant in this series and Connor dragged Leon into the fight and Leon powering through the, the high ankle sprain. It was impressive the interesting thing too is i can't remember the the number but it was a a exhaustingly high number as far as points by the top line top guys of the edmonton owners versus points by the top guys of the flames going again to that old hockey adage if you want to win hockey series your best players have got to be at their best well they were and it's kind of interesting how well that the flames did I, i should say that the oilers did against the calgary top line uh, that was uh, spearheaded by Lindholm and Johnny Gaudreau and, and Kachuk. They had their moments, but they were just held off just enough yeah. to have it be a disappointing finish. Uh, what are you thinking in Calgary now that this is over? You just uh, pick up the pieces and, uh, you know, forget about it and get back to it next year. I worry about my goaltender. 
Now, if you look, you go back and look at Markstrom's play with Vancouver, and I think it was Vancouver in the bubble, wasn't great. That's where Thatcher Demko was born. Right. And he became the number one. Markstrom actually had a choice between the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames when he came over in that deal. And um, he picked the Calgary Flames. His kryptonite is the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club. The numbers bore it out. It was a... The, the uh, I, we talked about it last time we had a podcast is that the the um, numbers against the rest of the NHL outstanding winning numbers can't you can't knock them there that's that's we're going to win most nights if our goalie plays like that against the Edmonton Oilers his goals against was in the four and his save percentage was in the eights in this series it went down to the sevens and his goals against went up to the fives so. You're not winning with that goalie. I don't care who you are. You're not winning with that guy. You know what it's like in Edmonton, Drew, after the, the Oilers advance a little bit. It's first time since 2006 they've gone to the conference final. And, of course, that year, after beating the Sharks in the first round, they went all the way to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup final. Uh, are there a few chests that are puffing out a little bit in Edmonton oh, these, yeah. these last, last 48 hours or so? Deservedly for some. Like for Ken Holland. Ken Holland was under siege all year. They started out great, and then they tanked. They were, they were the top team, I think, through the first 17 games, and then they were the last place team for the next, like, uh, I think it was one of, I want to say 15 in that ballpark. Jay Woodcroft comes in. And a couple of things. Ken Holland, why would you get Duncan Keith? Duncan Keith's too old, can't play. Ken Holland, what are you doing with Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen? They're too old. They can't play. Koskinen is not very good. Why don't you have better defensemen? No way Bouchard should be on this team. There's, You don't have the right guy with Connor McDavid. What's going on? Blah, 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 blah. And Ken was under siege. Under siege. We haven't even mentioned Evander Kane yet. Well, yeah. Yeah, I want to get to I mean, maybe I don't. Um, then Dave Tippett, under siege, under siege, under siege, they fire him. And Jay Woodcroft comes in. And Jay Woodcroft turns that team around. How did Jay Woodcroft turn that team around? He made them better five on five defensively. He, he, he said the one domino we wanted to knock down was five on five play without the puck. And if you watch the way they play now, he's done that. They basically emulate Tampa. And then Ken Holland made the move to get Evander Kane. And that's turned out very well for him. We all knew it would. We know Evander's a good hockey player. Sure. That's that part. You know, we can, is, is it redemption? No, I don't think he's a redemption. I think if it's Evander Kane playing for himself because he wants that new contract. And, and that's fine. He's, he's, he's a hungry hockey player right now. And, it's, and Ken Holland took a relatively easy gamble. When you look at the overall f- negativity and hits that he took for a couple of years, he can puff out his chest. Bob Nicholson, who's the president of the club, he can pop out his chest because Ken Holland was his guy. Um, Mike Smith can puff out of his chest. Mike Smith was, oh, Danny, the stuff that they were, well, you read all the hockey clips, the stuff they were saying about this guy, he's old, he's done, he was injured. After two rounds of the playoffs, his save percentage is 92.7. That's pretty solid in the NHL. And at age 40, he's he's really doing a great job. And, you know, you said it, uh, he wasn't great. He wasn't at the top of his game in this deciding game five, but you got to win some of these five, four games, as Daryl Sutter used to say, and Mike Smith managed to do it. Markstrom did not. 
And back to what you were saying about Jay Woodcroft, one thing that, that he had an advantage, I think, was he had a couple of years of coaching guys like Evan Bouchard. Uh, in yeah. Bakersfield, he knows all of these young guys and he was able to to slot them in properly. But he also got the buy in from the top guys. Um, looks like that, you know, he had Evander Kane with Connor McDavid for a while, but not now. He's got yeah. Kyler Yamamoto playing really who, well, who Jay has turned into a hockey player. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Tyson Berry's giving him a lot of a lot of mileage. And how about Puyo Yarby in the last game in the right place at the right time? But but he's been more often than the, in that situation than not since Jay took over. You know, the secret to Jay Woodcroft and I, you know, as you, as you know, I'm, I'm close to Jay. I'm, I um, have a ton of respect for him, ton of admiration for him in those, all those years when Jay and Todd were in San Jose, I got to go watch video with those coaches and Jay and I spent a lot of time together and I've come to this conclusion about Jay, the secret to Jay Woodcroft's success, besides his dedication and hardworking detailed, I mean, detailed guy that he is. He believes in the potential of people, not only players, but people around him. He believes in your potential. And he, if you fail, that's not a mark against you for Jay. As long as you prepared properly, did the things you were supposed to do in order to try to succeed, he doesn't hold failure against you. He holds against you if you don't prepare properly, if you aren't detailed, if you don't play with the team's concept in mind, or you don't operate with the team's concept in mind. But that's what I love about Jay. Jay believes in the potential of people. Well, it's interesting because he's getting a lot out of these guys. And of course, some of the wily vets that have been around, people that have been through a lot of ups and a lot of downs, Zach Hyman comes to mind. Yep. He's getting he's getting mileage out of them. And of course, those guys are really hungry. They know they've got a great opportunity playing with McDavid and with Dreisaitl to, to really advance forward. So uh, things are working in Edmonton right now. And it was very impressive that the way that they were able to beat the Calgary Flames in less than seven games, because that's as, as long as I thought that the series was going. Going to go. Uh, we'll, we'll be re returning in just a moment with more of our Stanley Cup playoff report because there were more games than just the Edmonton Calgary game to talk about and lots more coming up. We'll be back on the Sharks Audio Network. Hey, Sharks fans, are you planning to move in the near future? Look no further than SM Moving Systems. SM Moving has been a family owned business for four generations. Whether it is a residential move or commercial move for your business, SM Moving can manage all the logistics and planning for local, long distance, even international moves. We are proud to be the preferred moving company of the San Jose Sharks. To request a quote for your next move, go to smmoving.com. SM Moving Systems, quality in every move we make. We continue now with the Sharks playoff report on the San Jose Sharks audio network. Edmonton and Calgary hasn't been the only exciting overtime game over the last couple of days. How about the St. Louis Blues against the Colorado Avalanche in the Mile High City? Everybody was thinking that the series was over. Of course, early in the period, we got an opportunity for Billy Husso in nets for the injured Jordan Bennington. And he was facing Nathan McKinnon. And that one's chipped up to the line. McKinnon's coming out. Torovchenko couldn't keep up. McKinnon drives the goal. And Husso with a great save on McKinnon. But he couldn't stop McKinnon more than that because Nathan would get the hat trick. Three minutes to go in the third period. Tied at three here in game five. As have a 3-1 series lead. Nathan McKinnon. And a hat trick 
in the playoffs last year versus the Blues. McKinnon with two goals. McKinnon in between the circles. McKinnon, he scores! Oh my goodness gracious me! Nathan McKinnon throw the chapeau! The Mac attack is back with a goal and a play that you will hear and see over and over and over and over! Well, that pretty much said it all. Connor McGahey getting awfully excited for Colorado Avalanche fans, but he wasn't all that excited after the Blues tied it up and then Tyler Bozak got it in overtime. St. Louis gets their first. Devon Taves, blind pressure. Letty settles it down, sends it towards the net. Nachushkin has it stolen by Bozak. Let's it fly, they score. Bozak through the legs of Darcy Kemper, and the Blues complete the comeback. They live to fight another day. And game six will be in St. Louis coming up on Friday. Well, that was the Denver view of things, but what about Chris Kerber on the Blues side of the broadcast booth? It was Tyler Bozak that got an assist on the Pat Maroon goal two, three years ago. He scores! Tyler Bozak in overtime! You can bring out the Zamboni! The St. Louis Blues are coming home, and they're bringing the Avalanche with them. Bozak wins it for the Blues, 5-4, into overtime. I love to juxtapose those calls because <laughs> it just it just says it all with how the people in those communities are feeling. And obviously, when you're doing play-by-play, you have to understand who your audience is, too. Right. And uh, just, just, just a tough one because now we're getting to this point now, right, where the Avalanche are starting to get some questions in their mind here. St. Louis is putting a lot of doubt in what Colorado was expecting that they're going to be able to do. And here's my question for you, Drew. If St. Louis forces a game seven, might Colorado be done even though they play at home? Well, let's go back for a second. That goal by McKinnon and uh, the play-by-play goal, you're going to see it over and over and over and over and over again. You would have if that was the series winner. That would have been one of the great goals in the history of the Colorado Avalanche. Maybe the recent NHL history, too. Right. That would have been what a way. What a star player scores three goals, his first three goals of the series. And the crowning achievement is that last one where they're under the, the conference final. But they let it slip away. 51 seconds, I think, left. And then a guy who was on the bench from the second period, basically, on Tyler Bozak didn't play very much. Look at his minutes. He's hardly played at all. Comes on the ice and scores the winner. That type of situation, there is always a place, always a time, always a, a, a point in a series where we got him. That turned the series. That was the one. A game like that where you perform really well, but you let a 3 nothing lead slip away and a 4-3 lead slip away in the dying seconds and have it lost in overtime in front of your fans, that can certainly wilt a team and place that little seed, that little seed of doubt. This will be a really interesting game to watch with Blues and Colorado in game six because we need to see the response. Again, it's like fencing, right? There's the parry, then the response. So what, what does Colorado come out with? And what do the Blues come out with? The Blues are no pushovers. They've got a lot of guys in there that won the Stanley Cup is still there, as we know. Goaltending may be an issue, as it looked like it could have been. But Huso's played pretty well. Yeah, he did. He, you know, like Jay Woodcroft said, like you said, you got to win those games sometimes. And they did. 
So I'm interested to see what the response will be because that kind of loss can be crushing. Talking about Tyler Bozak's goal and how important it obviously was to St. Louis, given his ice time, uh, it, it brings back memories of that Edmonton series against the Boston Bruins in which Peter Klima was sitting on the side of the bench and they got into multiple overtimes and John Muckler had to throw him out there and he, he snapped in the winner because he was the only guy that wasn't dead tired out there. But, exactly. but, here, but here's an interesting comparison. Tyler Bozak played seven minutes and 16 seconds in this game and he gets the winner in OT. The Blues were down three to nothing, by the way, in this game. And, you know, the hat trick, the third, the period. Tricks, third period, just a couple of minutes left, and they were down in the game. Uh, so they're down three nothing in the third. They come back to win in overtime, and Bozak plays seven minutes and 16 seconds. And I looked at that, and I said, you know, that sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> and I went back to 2019 to game seven against Vegas. Different scenario, no five-minute major in this game. But. How about this? Barkley Goodrow only played seven minutes and 26 seconds. Get out of here. And he got the game winner. Wow. So there's, there's, there is comparison. And I, I put a tweet out on this, Drew. I said, the moral of the story is every player that is available to a coach is hugely important in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And nobody should forget that. We, um, we always talk in San Jose about the, the, the 16 things you got to do to win the Stanley Cup. Authored by Bob Berry in our very first soiree uh, into the uh, foray i should say into the stanley cup playoffs bobby Erie was our captain jotted down we know the story the 16 things and one of the things on that list was one shift is as important as 20 and that's the moral of the story as you just said danny i think of that all the time watch players you're never out of a game it seems the playoffs really shows that well, after the game, Tyler Bozak was obviously pretty enthusiastic about the victory. Just a resilient group of guys um, got down and didn't want the season to be over and um, fought hard, got some big goals late and um, was lucky enough to be on the end of the one in, in overtime. But yeah, it was awesome. We're excited for uh, next game. And as is typical, Bozak really couldn't explain how the puck went in. Just got a little bounce up top and saw a lane to the net and in overtime, there's definitely no such thing as a bad shot. So just tried to get it through on the traffic, and um, it went in. So it was awesome. It was pretty awesome for him and for the Blues. Uh, next game will be a big one, obviously, and maybe St. Louis can get those seeds of doubt planted even more firm. But Colorado's got an opportunity, and they're an amazing hockey club. You've been listening to the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. This has been a presentation of the San Jose Sharks Audio Network.